gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about Harry Potter! Hello, and welcome to Hashtag Ruthless, a podcast where I'm all alone in the intro today, but that's okay because you're about to listen to us talk to our hero and yours, Chuck Tingle. Briefly before we get into it, I have a couple things. Tomorrow is the last day to get our Pride merch, including our free activity book, so head to hashtag Ruthless.com to get that if you haven't already. Tomorrow is also the last day of our Pride Patreon special, where you get a personalized gay and affirmation from Jesse when you join. Also, I haven't mentioned our sticker club in a while, but this month's sticker is Pride-themed and glittery, and maybe my favorite one yet, so if you've been considering joining, today is a good day for it. On to the interview. Cool. Uh, Chuck, thank you so much for joining us again to talk about your new Harriet Porber book. This is extremely exciting. Oh, thank thank you for having me. I gotta say, I'm so happy that um, we have, uh, we become buds over time. We we like each other's online posts and and, uh, share this way. And it all started with the the first dang interview. And it's such a treat to... uh, to ha- have that, uh, well, that's part of our past now, and now we're trotting towards the future together and proving love is real. I, I enjoy it so much. Uh, this is also really exciting for me. So yes, we're, uh, I think, of, of the same mind, Lark and I. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, truly, truly a dream internet and, friendship. And, uh, I listened to, uh, I listened to the episode, uh, about, uh, Theater of Love. So I'm all up to date on your thoughts on it because I I took a deep dive on one of my morning <laughs> trots and I listen. Yeah, yeah, you made some pretty dang good points. I gotta say, so uh, I'm excited to, to talk on its way because uh, I already know that uh, you already took a pretty deep dive, and I and I hope that I can answer some dang questions. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Obviously, the most pressing question was like, did JKR threaten to sue you? Oh dang! That's a, oh that that's so funny because um uh, the answer is no. But I would call this <laughs> I would call this tale uh preemptive. It uh it was uh based on uh, I was thinking what it, it was just looking in, trying into the future and thinking okay <laughs> I know how she tends to work mm-hmm. and uh, and I have also read that uh, she doesn't really. Uh, Seem to care much about laws of parody, uh, and just likes to bully people with uh, with her money. So I, I I hope that that wouldn't happen because it would be uh, I would say irritating, and she certainly <laughs> certainly wouldn't win because uh, in a dang parody lawsuit you have to prove that someone could mistake these two products for for each other, and then she would have to say, oh yes, this is. 
so similar to my own because of old shirtless Snape Resmore and his song spells. And I don't think that I don't think that would fly. But the dang thing is, when you have that kind of dang money, you can just bully people around. So I, I think um, I, it was mostly based on reading about stories where she has uh, handled uh, things like this before. I also got to say, as, as much as she likes to, to pretend that uh, she does not uh, say these bad things about uh, trans buckaroos, I, I think that... I think that uh, turning it into a lawsuit about Harriet Porber would probably be, uh, I think, calculated by their side to be even worse. That would be a pretty bad look for someone who already looks pretty dang bad. I, yeah. I can't. I think the public relations it would just cause it would cause Harriet Porber to just start flying off the shelves. So <laughs> I, that's true. <laughs> I think I think they even if they dang wanted to, someone would calculate that and say, "I think that's going to do a lot worse for you than good, old scoundrel J.K." <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely true. Yeah. So, what kind of uh, inspired you to write uh, Harriet Porber sequel? Okay. Well, uh, I'm gonna say I think what inspired it was. Reception to the first one and how how much it meant to so many uh, buckaroos. And I, I always knew when you, when you write something and create something with thing love in your heart, as you as you both know, you make this podcast and you have so much love in your way and you're trying along and just trying to put something positive and good out into the world. And when that's your motivation, the sky's the dang limit. So I, I think that um. Basically, what happened was uh, I knew it would uh, touch some hearts, but it touched so many that I thought, dang, I enjoyed writing the first one. I got more that I that I can say. And then um, I thought, well, I'll write it if uh, I'll write it if I can come up with an idea, because I, I got to admit in the back of my mind, if I could do a full series, that that would be um, really great. But that's a lot of dang work. So I, 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 I don't know if I can write that many books. Uh, but, um, but I just thought if I come up with a dang good idea, I've now decided that, uh, that, uh, I'm going to do another one. And then the idea came along, um, not necessarily for, uh, main plot, but of feeling of the book of what I, what the whole point of it was going to be, what the message was. And, and I think that, um, Message of first Harriet Porber book was about strength of of the individual um, uh, of uh, queer buckaroos or or even specifically trans buckaroos to say that um, you have so much strength um, inside of you just by being yourself and that was theme of the first book and I thought I want theme of the sequel to be you have so much strength as a community because I already covered having strength as an individual. I think I did a pretty good job. So I thought, okay, what, what's the next thing to say? And then I thought, this is going to be all about community and, and queer community coming together to stand up against hate. So that, that, that was the main point. And when I figured out that I wanted to do it, I thought, okay, now I got to write a sequel now because that, that's a good thing to, that's a good message to say, I think. I definitely agree. Yeah. How did you how did you land on the sort of theater and like Las Vegas and all of that aspect of the 
Oh dang! Well, a couple of ideas. One is I just I like I like all dang Las Las Vegas because I, uh, I uh, sometimes I like to trot around there with Sun John and trot around and play the dang card games. So uh, that is a place I like to visit. And uh, and what's better than dang writing a book? Uh, if we're gonna be transported to a world of magic and mystery. Uh, you might as well make it a place you like to be. So I thought, well, I'd like to have a Vegas vacation. And then then I got to travel there in my mind a little bit. We were all in dang lockdown. So, yeah, I think it was an imaginary lockdown vacation. When you can't trot around the world, you just got to trot in your own brain. Um, So that that was part of it. And then part of it, I I thought it was kind of interesting. A lot of buckaroos liked magic system of Harriet Porber mm-hmm. and and I thought oh well if I I can start talking about this in kind of a go deep in that world because uh, if you said it in a Las Vegas magic show I just seem kind of like an interesting uh, world to, to trot around in uh, because you can start talking about ways of well, in this world, uh, what are you going to do with a dang magic show in Las Vegas if you got uh, Harriet Porber trotting around doing magic spells? Um, are you still going to watch fake magic or are magic shows going to be the real deal? So that, then I thought, oh, wow, that's an interesting way that the world would exist. I, I don't know. Well, you you might know about dang uh, and, and dang uh, and, and Harry Harry's Potter. Do they have fake magic shows? I guess they do because nobody knows wizards are real, correct? Yes, I would say, I mean, the muggle, the non-magical world of that series is supposed to be the world that we Pretty all much exist the inside of. Yeah. So Siegfried and Roy are still doing magic, but it's fake, fake magic. Yeah. Yeah. And just in general, there isn't really a lot of overlap of like using magic for artistic purposes in the Harry Potter series, much to oh, I yes. think my annoyance as someone yeah. who's very interested okay. in art and pop culture so yes oh that's <laughs> interesting okay so it's your pretty much utilitarian uses very uh specific for the most part yeah wow okay um as you can probably tell uh between now and our in our first time chatting i have still never read uh, harry potter so that's i fine. still have no idea what the heck's going on I think that that honestly probably makes the books, makes the Harriet Porter books more exciting. I think because a lot of the ways that the parody shows up are maybe more unexpected. Okay, yeah. So speaking of what sort of what we were talking about with the uh, lack of using magic creatively in the actual Harry Potter series... One of the things that Jesse and I really appreciated about the, I mean, both books, but uh, specifically in the sequel, was the way that your curiosity shows up in the book. And like, I think specifically around uh, how you address the issue of like how food and magic interact with one another, and then also the considerations that you would have to take when designing a teleportation spell. Yes. It's pretty shocking that it doesn't come up in... The, you got... Think of how many dang words there are in the whole Harry Potter series. <laughs> you come dang once, and they're at a dang school! That's exactly where you should be talking about technicalities, and, and that's kind of interesting. I cannot 
cannot then believe that these have not been addressed of, of what it would be like to eat a magic piece of cake. I know. I know. Yeah. And we just, we did an episode recently, one of our other Pride episodes, where we were talking with some folks about representation in the series. And one of the things that came up about part of why the representation of this, this conversation was specifically about Asian characters in the books is so bad is partly tied to J.K. Rowling's lack of curiosity and like the fact that she just doesn't think about, okay, like how would, you know, cultures that have magic still today as part of their religious beliefs, how would that affect students going to this like magic school where they're being taught Latin based magic, right? And that's the most interesting part. Exactly. And like that, your book came up in that episode where we were talking about like, yeah, we just read this book where that was written by a curious author. And it was such a relief to read this book that just was like, like, clearly, the author also wants the answers to the questions that we want the answers to. And just how lovely that is to read. Oh, that's so kind. Thank thank you so much. I, I, I am... Yeah, I'm very touched by that, and that's a pretty dang good observation because I, I didn't I didn't think about it much. But as a buckaroo who doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about when it comes to Harry Potter, I I, I know basically what what the culture at large knows about. I know the main characters somewhat, and a lot of writing a theater of love was thing uh, going on thing uh, Wikipedia or other ways and reading summaries of the ding books and trying to figure out what what the characters are and how they interact and and what what's an interesting uh, um parody twist on them because uh, I, I just thought that um, that that uh, there there are so many issues there that aren't actually being touched on and thinking okay well how can i fit this into a greater critique of um of uh, the scoundrel J.K. at large, and, and and it's interesting that it would then come across that way. I I didn't, I didn't even think of that, but it's true. M- most of my time was spent researching things uh, to write this dang book, and that was the the most fun part. Was thinking, okay, how can I, how can these things fit into this world? I, I will say, I did a lot more research on this one um, than than the first one actually. So I think that there's more characters weaving through in that way. Yeah, definitely. And that was really fun, too. All of the new characters were really exciting. Oh, I think that there's one I'm curious about from listening to the episode. I think there's one that you didn't, uh, that you didn't catch. Um, name of Nicholas Flamel. Um, he is a dang French wizard. And uh, he, he is a maker of the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, I can't believe we didn't bring that up. Yes, and in episode, I think you did not catch that he was the handsome French unicorn. Um, I mean, at least I definitely caught it. I must. Have oh, just okay. Not made it I into think I might. Notes. I think that it wasn't a. Well, I was curious because in the episode it, it wasn't mentioned, that I thought, oh dang, um, is this person a big part of the dang bo- books? Cause I. I gotta say, I don't even know who's a known character. I don't know if that's someone that you would say, oh yeah, he's mentioned in the dang liner notes at, at the end of some dang spinoff book that no one's ever read. I don't even know if he's in the dang main books or what. So I was curious about that because I thought, whoa, dang it. I, I assumed maybe he was more well known, but when you did not mention it, I thought, oh dang, maybe did I draw from something that's in the 
the depths of scoundrel JK's dungeon ba- <laughs> barely published a dang uh, a dang um, mailing list uh, story for the from the holidays in 2003 or something like that no he's um he does he's not like a present character in the book but he is a driving force of the plot of the first of the first book oh dang so he's like they have to figure out who he is he's part of the mystery oh dang so no he's definitely he's definitely a relevant oh, person okay. to right oh that's the story, good for sure I, I that's kind of the exciting thing too and maybe why i enjoy talking talking to you both so much afterwards is because i don't really know how some of these uh characters are going to cross ones maybe from the first book or ones from the last one or ones ones out there hunting handsome fantastic beasts instead i don't even know how where they come from so i think it might be interesting uh someone who doesn't know the series that that well to see how they cross these things over in their own way i thought that serial black was a particularly <laughs> excellent <laughs> representation of his namesake honestly <laughs> oh that well that's good you, you know how I, I based i based his character on how he looked in google image search <laughs> <laughs> and i wasn't sure accurate. if i was close uh no really i mean like he's been ro- wrongly accused of things that he didn't do he's a prisoner with like very little access to things he comes in he's like super sweet and kind despite everything that he's been through he's very smart like you really you really nailed it oh wow thank well that that's kind of the, the amazing thing about writing with this process it, it it creates some kind of um unexpected results in some places and then other places you just think wow i wonder if that kind of permeated my mind in ways I, I didn't really know and and i guess i just had that lurking back there to sneak out when i was writing about it yeah, that is, it's great. Yeah, I particularly loved Neva just because in the Harry Potter series, Neville is a very favorite character of mine. And I'm like, so like in your book, I'm like, yes, let her be a sweet badass. Oh, dang. <laughs> and it's yes. Like, oh. <laughs> I did a, a lot of research for that. That when that was kind of the moment that I, that I, I don't know, you, you, you both did such a deep, analysis but i will say that character i i think um e- even though she she only shows up uh she she kind of uh comes in and out in two very important scenes i kind of think that in in a strange way it's 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 kind of her story because um I, I i wanted it to be about community but i think there's also a through line um about um i would say um uh, queer culture kind of handing the reins over um, in an intersectional way and saying oh, there's kind of a, an old, older group and then there, there's this uh, young uh, young never coming along and uh, who, who's, who's growing up and kind of uh, going to take the reins and at the end of the day that's who, who uh, slays the snake and I thought there was something very powerful about that of saying and this community um we're gonna we're just gonna kind of expand it and 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 look to new voices I thought that was exciting yeah definitely um do you think Neva will have a a bigger role in the third book oh dang I 
I will say if there's one dang character that I would like to speak more on, that that would be it. And the thing, it's a hard, it's a difficult road to trot because um, I feel like as a sequel, part of it is handing the, the story over to her. But at the same time, I still would like it to be a, a Harriet Porber series. So mm-hmm. I think that um, she will be featured a lot, but I couldn't... Um, I, I, maybe not a full spinoff, uh, even though I think you could easily do that. I kind of have a few. I have. I'm gonna wait until I have a really dang good idea for the third third book. But um, you stumbled upon something that was secretly in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. What I thought I would do for a dang third book, and no one noticed uh, but you uh, when you said. <laughs> Uh, it is true. No, well, I don't think anyone... I don't know if I want to spoil it. I guess if you're listening, we're talking all about it. I don't know if this will be the third book. But when I, when I was writing second book, kind of intentionally, I thought, wow, I, I wonder if... How am I going to say this? Oh, dang. I'm tripping over my words. Hold on. I'm going to start at the very beginning. Okay. The very beginning is, is that when I was writing the sequel, I had to think of a way... If Harriet has this very powerful spell that gives you what what you need exactly when you need it, I thought, dang, it's hard to write a sequel because now there's no conflict. You're just going to get what you need when you need it. So mm-hmm. I had to think of a way to say, okay, how, how am I going to um, regulate that power? And what would happen if you put that in the in the real world? And I thought, well... That could be a dang disaster because some of these uh, ways, um, if you really need one thing, maybe someone else needs the opposite. And what happens if two people cast the same dang spell and 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 it threw the dang world in chaos? But then in the back of my mind, I did think, well, technically the spell is what you need when you need it, not what you want. And I think that um, if that was the truth, it would probably not be as chaotic. And I still wrote it because I kind of needed that uh, conflict. But you picked up on that. And I thought <laughs> I thought to myself when I was writing uh, Theater of Love, maybe someone has snuck in and there is more to that spell backfiring <laughs> than, uh, than Harriet knows. Maybe someone goes back through their old files in Harriet Porber 3 and the main plot of that is to see what uh what uh, JKR corporation did uh Ooh. to to make that spell fail intentionally and maybe there's a a fly in the chocolate milk as they say so um yeah. no no one else dang picked up on that but when I listened to the show I thought oh dang I'm in cut <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited that there is potentially going to be a third one <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I hope so. I just, it's so fun to, I i will say one of the main reasons to even dang write the third one is so I could come back on here and just chat with you. So I think maybe I'll have to write one just so we can come back and talk about it. That sounds yeah. great. Um, I want to just, just put out into the world, if you maybe need like a newspaper to break the story about... <laughs> This in the third book, I could yes. recommend the Gaily Prophet as a great paradigm oh, wow. of the Wizarding World newspaper. <laughs> oh, do I, dang! Do I, do I have permission? Heck yes. yeah. Oh my god, we would love it. Oh dang. Well, I, I did also, I gave you a small reference uh, directly that you caught. 
It was yes. like the best moment of my life, maybe. <laughs> oh, dang. I'm pretty sure we both screamed about it even before we recorded the episode where it was like, I think I sent Lark a like, text in like all caps or something. Oh, yes. Yeah, Secret we had people like messaging us on Instagram before we even read it and they were like, just wait until you get to chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Yes. Oh, dang. Okay, good. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I will take uh, I will take your words to heart. If there is a third one, uh, then uh, then yes, I think that that I will have to have a Gaily Prophet uh, newspaper. Definitely. That that's such a treat. Oh, okay. That, I'm glad you mentioned that because that would be great. I just I just need to make sure that I have um not just idea for for third one, but message of third one. Mm-hmm. And what, once I have the message, then then I can start working things. And I also like to um I have morning trots where I go outside and just see the world and listen to my dang podcast shows, and that's where I think of my ideas before I write anything down. And, and I think that, um, I think that I, it takes a long time of just thinking of ideas and maybe just imagining the world. And then eventually I think, oh, wow. Oh, that's the dang story right there. So who knows if that will happen with Harriet Porber 3, but I, I, I certainly hope it does. I have one small sliver idea of a message but um, I'm I'm not sh- quite sure yet. I think that the first one was about um, finding power in yourself, and second one is about finding power in community. I I think that um, if I was to think of a message that's intriguing me right now, um, those books are about using that power defensively. I think they're about. What happens when a devil like JKR comes and attacks you and and tries to tear you down? And I think maybe what would be exciting about a third Harriet Porber is um, if we have this power in our community and ourselves, what happens when we take take the fight to them? What happens when we use it offensively? So I think that taking down the JKR Corporation um, instead of defending yourself against it is a natural progression for the, the third book to say, you, you have this power and you don't need to wait um, to prove love is real against the devils. You can say, hey, devils, I'm going to come out and I'm going to do something to prove love and show that love is real uh, and stop defending myself and, and instead start marching forward instead of putting up my shield. I'm going to hoist my uh, flag of love. So Jesse calls referred to you as a hope punk in our episode, and then I had to look up what that meant. Oh, you, is that something you're familiar with, Chuck? I I, I have been made familiar um, because that is my natural way. So I will say that um, when I first heard of that word, I thought, oh yeah, that that that, that is kind of my attitude for the, for the world. So I would say it's a pretty accurate description. But um, yes, I, I've heard of this way. I. I find that pretty dang flattering i think uh yeah when i when i looked it up actually the like top search result article that like describes it then has some recommendations of hope punk uh texts and and movies and whatever in the world and you are in fact on the list what uh-huh it's on vox the article oh dang oh well okay well i guess uh dang that, that, that's good news then i yeah, guess the world agrees <laughs> um so i feel like just what you just said is absolutely the natural progression of of the hope punk message of the Harriet Porber series also. So I think 
Yes. It just sounds perfect. Jesse and I are both nodding super enthusiastically because we can see each other while we're Ow! having this conversation. <laughs> oh, dang. Yes, we, I, I think that's very exciting. As a man named Chuck, I have always been... Um, I have always been drawn to a way of sincerity and and I think there's so much power in it. And I, I gotta say, it's very nice to know there are, I think, movements that are seen as pretty dang cool to be a part of that have to do with um, hope and sincerity because I'm a pretty old buckaroo. I've been around a long time and that used to not be a, not be a cool trot to trot. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and it was just not a not a way to uh, look up to and say, "Wow, that's neat. I want to be that way." If someone had uh, hope in their way and love in their way, and most of all, sincerity. There was a lot of dang snarling at the world, and that's what it meant to be dang a uh, punk rocker. And and uh, there's a, there's times when when you want to snarl at the world, that's okay too. But I just think my natural way is is to really find a lot of. Um, Find a lot of uh, joy and sincerity. I think that's such a valuable thing that you give to the world. Oh, well, you know, I gotta say, you, you, you both have that too. I think it's a hard, I think it's a difficult way to see because sometimes buckaroos can think to themselves, oh, but I'm, I've got a sarcastic sense of humor or something. I can't, that's not really my way, but I really think that it goes beyond that. It's a, a not even an outward, uh, outward way, but it's the unique way that you carry in your heart. And I, I think that that comes across regardless of if you're making a dang a, a satire or sarcasm or dang parody, um, you can still have sincerity in that. And and I think that um, that comes through in, in what I do, but I think it also comes through in what, what you do. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Don't everybody start crying now. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> I remember last episode, the, the clean was right next to the desk. <laughs> uh, so we asked for some listener questions. Oh, wow. And one of our listeners wanted to know if you had a chance to talk to actual scoundrel JKR, would you? And if you would, what would you say? Oh, dang, that, that's a great question because um, I have talked to actual scoundrel JKR. Um, I don't know if uh, buckaroos know this, but... Um, our first interaction was uh, when I wrote, uh, I, I wrote Pounded by the Pound, which was about um, Brexit, was a pretty popular tingler. And um, she tweeted about it and, and posted and, and we uh, exchanged words in, in that way. So we have actually talked and this was at a time um, where that to me uh, was was a pretty great honor actually because I didn't know about any of this this st- stuff. Um I don't know if maybe well you can tell me. Maybe you both knew about it, but at the time I I well I didn't know anything about being Harry Potter first of all, but I also I don't think there was all this kind of uh, controversy about her um anti-trans ways or or was it always there and it just wasn't in the dang media. I mean, I think if you were doing like very, very close readings of the Harry Potter books, you could pick up on it. But in terms of people really knowing about it, that didn't happen, I think, until December of 2018. Oh, dang. 2019, okay. rather. 2019. 
Okay. So this, yes, so on this timeline of reality, June 24th, 2016 is when pounded by the pound, turned gay by the socioeconomic implications of Britain leaving the European (laughs) Union came out. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and uh, scoundrel JK tweeted about it, um, probably a few days after that. So th- this was before then. And at the time I thought, oh, that's very kind. I even, um, put, uh, put her quote on my dang website, uh, with my quotes next to dang, uh, Billings newspaper, the New York Times and other big timer quotes I have there. Um, and then once I, I learned about her scoundrel ways, I, I remember taking it off my website and thinking, well, I, I, it was a decision, I guess, when you think about, um, uh, whether uh, an artist you know and love is a scoundrel uh, or what they really care about at the end of the day, um, I remember thinking, wow, there are probably some other authors that would think it's pretty good to have a positive quote from the scoundrel JK on your website. Um, Gives you some validation. And some might just ignore it and not take it off. But I remember um, right when I heard that, the first thing I did was say, Sam Rand, got go to the website and take that off because uh, I do not like her trot anymore. And then I started to uh, message her saying, you are a scoundrel. And that is when we stopped talking. So (laughs) interestingly enough, we have spoken, but it it was uh, it was pleasant at the time. And we are no longer buds. Has she blocked you on Twitter? Oh, dang. I I don't know. I I don't think so, because I still um, will every day once in a while pop on there and comment. You are a scoundrel on some of the dang posts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think she's still there. And I guess that answers your question of what would you say if you could have a conversation with her? And the answer would be probably you are a scoundrel. Um, I've got to say, I think that her, um, the internalized uh, hatred and bigotry that I sense from her, I think is a lot more than... uh, could be changed or even dented in a single conversation to to tell you the truth. It seems to be from what I have seen so deep that the concept of her being a devil and having hurtful opinions, she can't even understand that that could be real. It's very deeply ingrained where she can't even accept that reality. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Jesse. Yeah, do you want to start our outside of the Harriet Porter conversation? Yes. All right. So a lot of our listeners for our podcast, we we heard a lot about people just being really like excited and really appreciated your kind of openness about being autistic and kind of the way you talk about autism, kind of like on your social media. Oh, yes. Yes. And then just kind of like. Really appreciated that you posted earlier this month kind of about um, gatekeeping and the harm that it causes. Uh, oh. so this is actually, I guess, less of a question. It's more of a, like, general... Oh, well, it's a kind comment. I, well, I will say that um, as many of a chick, I've been, I've been posting and doing my books for a while and creating things, making art. And I will say that um, 
the ways that I am on a spectrum, that is a way of um, autism spectrum and bisexual spectrum, th- those are my ways, are um, not clearly visible. And and I will say that um, as Manny Mochuk, if I was trotting down the street not wearing my mask or any other way, um, you wouldn't really dang notice notice it. And in ways of being an autism spectrum, um, I think it has benefited my my life a lot. Now I know there are there are buckaroos on both of those spectrums who who because of that have had a really dang hard time, and so. I think that part of my journey writing these stories and talking about my personal way is that I didn't talk about these ways before because I was worried they would take away others, uh, take away from others on these spectrums who had a really dang hard time. I, I felt like I didn't deserve to talk on these ways about my own trot because I thought, wow, I've had it so dang easy being parts of these communities and it made me almost... Uh, not identify as a member of them. I did technically, but I just didn't think about it because because it had not affected my dang life, and I didn't I didn't want to take away from the stories of those who it really did affect their life and needed that love to to be say this is my community. So I I guess I kind of always felt on the outside in that way, and part of writing these dang books has has been so nice that I have learned. Um, to really appreciate the spectrum of ways and how it's important to have this voice of these stories that are hard, but it's also important to tell stories about how maybe being on autistic spectrum has made a life great for you. And that is my way. I'm so proud of, of my way and so glad that I was born um, with this unique way inside my brain. So I, I, I think that... Um, that I just realized that was important. And I started thinking about my heroes who have these these ways and how much it meant to me as a young buckaroo. I will say for me, a man named David Byrne from band on this timeline named of Talking Heads. When I was a young buckaroo and I, I, I saw him giving dang interviews, I, I, I thought, dang, I have rarely seen a buckaroo who, who has my way. There was an interview of him on dang David's Letterman uh, late at night. And, and I said, dang, he, he has a very unique way. And eventually I learned that uh, he was uh, dang on the spectrum. And I thought, wow, maybe that's me too. And then later when I went to dang a therapist to dang talk on this, um, I already kind of knew that I was part of my way. And I said, do you think this is my way? And they said, yes, that is your way. So having, having this dang hero out there to say, oh, actually, it's pretty cool to be on the spectrum, but that, that's a great, that's a great trot. Um, I was so important. So I thought as Chuck, maybe I should start talking about how proud of it I am. And that's not really taken away from those who have struggled on the spectrum. That's just maybe giving a hero to other buckaroos who have this way, kind of like how David Byrne was hero to a young Chuck. Absolutely. I mean, I think the world only benefits from people talking about any sort of like marginalized identity in a way that is celebratory, whether that's being autistic or bisexual or trans or whatever. I think talking about the the good parts of those things, especially those invisible identities that you were talking about, that's so validating. And if people only ever hear the hard things and 
that's then combined with a society that doesn't make space. I mean, thinking specifically about autism, like society really wants us to believe that it's only a struggle. Having those two things just like be all that you can be exposed to makes it so that how do you celebrate the parts that are that are beneficial, right? Yes. And that do make your life better and more exciting and, you know, you. I mean, because like on a fundamental level, it's a it's part of what makes you you. Yes. And you're great. <laughs> yes, that's you true. Chuck are great and also like you the listener are great. Absolutely. And then I think that is part of my learning on this way is I, I realize that um Yes, there there are things. Uh, I, I think it's up to the individual what they want to say is a benefit or a struggle. But if you focus on that too much, too, you, you stop uh, thinking about the fact that it is. It's really beyond that. It's exactly as you said. It's just part of you. That's not good or bad. That's just your way, and and it's perfect. It's not good or bad. It's perfect. It's exactly what it should be. Uh, when it should be it, just like Harriet Porber's spell. So it's. It's just, uh, it's okay to just be you and you're just how you should be on, on these spectrums. And I think that's great. And I think the reason that it means so much to me is, is that, that, um, there were a lot of voices. I think they've gone away, but for a long time, some leaders in either, in either of these communities were talking about that really liked to keep out others who, who, who they, they did not think were bisexual enough, were autistic enough. And um, I, I really, um, I really wanted to be an opposing voice to that and say, "You're, you're exactly enough. You, you just are who you are, and that's fine. And, uh, and you're always gonna be enough in the Tingleverse, at least." Hell yeah! Good, good thing I gotta say uh, to to Jesse um, for a question that we realized was actually a comment. Sure <laughs> got, sure got me rambling. <laughs> David Byrne. I'm like, wow, so many Talking Heads songs. I'm like, do just neurodiverse people just love Talking Heads for this reason? I'm just like, my mind is blown. <laughs> I, well, I, I actually think so. What, what I always um, what I always appreciate about his way, not just him in the personal um, recognizing that about him. I was a big dang fan even before even before that, because um, in the lyrics to dang Talking Heads songs, um, th- there's a lot of um, emotion driven from things that I think um, neurotypical buckaroos wouldn't understand why there's so much emotion there. I think part of my way on the uh, on autism spectrum is uh, is the dang fact that um, there are things that uh, should make me very emotional that are maybe more uh, typical interactions socially that don't make me emotional at all. And then when I start thinking about things like the size of the universe or the way a building looks or different things that I think can kind of seem maybe silly to uh, neurotypical buckaroos, um, they would make me very emotional and brought to tears. And a lot of them talking head songs, lyrics of them are about that. They're just about things that I think uh, uh, most wouldn't find to be uh, as a... emotional but they're bringing the a, a lot of gravity to them which i think is important yeah as someone who also feels emotional about architecture and the universe i'm like yes i'm just nodding uh yeah i mean adhd and autism are sort of like 
they hold hands a lot. So. I, I have heard that before. That's very interesting. Whenever I post about my uh, artistic way, um, I get a lot of comments like that that say, oh, we are uh, ne- neurodivergent uh, cousins. High mm-hmm. five in that way. Yeah. So I wanted, this is another uh, statement and not question, but I just wanted to say, so I've been reading through your catalog in the last several months. And one of the things that I just, I don't think I could possibly express how much I appreciate is that in your trans tinglers, you have at the bottom of the book uh, description, how like what the pairings are and how the trans characters relate to their bodies and what kinds of sex they are and aren't willing to have. Oh, dang thing. I'm glad you appreciated that. I like it. Like, I mean, on a functional level, it like helped me decide what books I was going to read because yes. I was like, oh, that one would be like very hard for me to deal with. And like this one is like the kind of sex that I'm willing to have in the way that I relate to my body. So like, yes. great, I'm going to read this one. And it's just like so thoughtful and thank you. Oh, you're dang, you're dang welcome. Well, I gotta say that I, my thank you, um, I know no individual this uh, part can represent the whole community, but my, my thank you would just be to dang trans community in general because um whole reason for those being there, I wouldn't have thought of it, but um, I guess it just goes to show why it's important uh, when you are, I, I like to say, um, I'm a B on the LGBTQIA. When a letter is is a guest making art in another letters community, uh, it's so dang important to dang uh, look at uh, and reach out to your buds in this community and actually uh, listen and get input. So with uh, trans tinglers, so much dang time uh, was spent and is still spent actually talking to trans buckaroos saying, oh, I have a question about this. Can someone direct message me? Um, and through that process of talking to so many dang trans buckaroos, that, that is what made me uh, decide and come up with the idea to do that on each story was just kind of realizing that um, this the, the whole dang trans experience, I think there's a lot that, um, that uh, all trans buckaroos can kind of relate on. But at the same time, there's so much dang variety. Um, it's a very, um, there's all kinds of different ways of expressing yourself in this journey, it sounds like. And so it just made sense that if you had a group of multiple stories, you would, you would want to let others know um, what kind of part of that journey it was touching on, it seemed like. Yeah, absolutely. I also just want to say there, so in in the like, Obviously, trans people are deeply underrepresented in media generally, but trans masculine folks of the trans representation that's out there make up only 19% of the representation, which means that of the like trans men that I've seen, like experienced in media, uh, like two thirds are now from your books. Oh, Um, wow. So I'm also just like very grateful to you for being out there just like creating that content and um, making it like clear to the world that people like me exist because that's just not always that's so touching thank you oh dang i didn't i didn't realize that's a very interesting statistic wow 
Yeah, it is. And it's very interesting because it comes up a lot with people who get mad about things like people saying people who give birth or people who menstruate. And they're like, Rah, why are you doing this just to include trans women? And it's like, that's actually not for trans women. Wow, <laughs> but, oh, yes. <laughs> but like, I think people legitimately are like, I don't know that trans men exist. Like, that's wow. just not even on my radar. Why Why do you think, um, if you're comfortable um, uh, answering, well, why do you think uh, that is? Why, why do you think the discrepancy is there in media? Do you have theories on that? I do. I mean, I think it's because people aren't afraid of trans men. Oh, oh, okay. I understand. Oh, so that that's a very um uh, scoundrel J.K. kind of way, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, dang! Interesting. Okay, that wow. Okay, now it's every time I learn something about this experience. First of all, I'm I'm honored to even be let in in this conversation, and then second of all, um, when I start to think about um scoundrel J.K. um you kind of realize how transparent her her emotional uh, baggage is on this issue. She just really wears it all on her sleeve in a very obvious way to pretty much dang everyone but herself. Yep. 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 She sure does. <laughs> yeah, well said. That, that issue that you just brought up, I just think, oh, that explains so much about dang J- scoundrel JK, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and I will say before I forget, um, it, it is a trans a trans woman character, but I have a book, um, name of Straight, that just came out, and um, there is a trans character in that who is one of my favorite trans characters that I have ever written. But the thing is, is I don't know if either of you um, enjoy horror books, so that's a very specific way. It might be too dang scary, but um, there is one of the main characters is trans, and dang, I really loved writing her so much it was a real thing treat she's one of my favorite characters uh i love horror and lark does not so i'm gonna have to read that and then oh dang okay (laughs) i will say i i'm fine with scary i'm not good at witnessing suffering i have a suspicion that chuck's horror might actually be okay for me you know what that's a good point that's a good point oh dang i could talk forever i've been doing a lot of dang horror podcasts um, because uh, my new straight book, Straight, is, is horror, so I've been dipping into that world. And so much of what we talk about is kind of my feelings on um, what you need to write for horror with marginalized characters. Um, I, I don't want to ramble your ear off, but I guess it's a pretty good point. I, I kind of think there's, personally, I think there's two kinds of horror. I think the first kind is... um. It's just, uh, there is a lot of suffering. It's hard to get through, kind of like a punk rock song. or it, It's just, <laughs> it's, it's the whole point of it is that it's dang noisy and, and kind of difficult. And by the end of it, you think, wow, that was grueling. I'm not sure if I liked it. But then days later, you look back and you think, oh, I kind of did enjoy experiencing that. And that's, that's okay. That's an okay kind of horror. And then the second type, I think, is cathartic horror, which is, you think that it's going to be number one, but then there's a turn where the character kind of turns the dang tables on old Mike Mikers and it takes their knife and stabs them back and escapes the dang haunted house. And the whole point of that is that you're cheering along. And it all has to do with kind of a, not a revenge turn. It can be revenge, but it's just a, a heroic turn, I would say. And um, I've been thinking and in researching how I wanted to write straight, I'd, 
the last thing I wanted to do was write a horror book where um, marginalized readers would think, I get hurt every day. Why do I want to read a book where I just see characters suffer and are hurt? I, I don't want that. I wanted it to be firmly planted in number two, which is cathartic and thinking, wow, there, there's all this um, danger and I can't wait to see these characters turn the tables and escape it in a way that makes me cheer and makes me feel good at the end. So it, I think once I crack the code on that and think if I'm going to write horror for a, a group uh, of uh, LGBTQIA, I'm, I'm going to make sure that it's planted in uh, group group number two as something that the queer buckaroos can cheer along. So it is intentionally, I don't want to spoil it too much because part of what makes number two good is if you're afraid it's going to turn into number one. Uh, but I will say that um, I very much appreciate what you're saying and definitely um took pains to avoid it being a story about LGBTQIA characters just suffering with, for no point. I, it was very much not that. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to have Jesse uh, beta read for me. Or Yes, that's fair. Be my, my poison tester or whatever. Safety the, the reader. Is, yeah. I, I'm always <laughs> willing to do that for any kind of horror content you want to consume, Lark. Just let me know. Awesome. All right, we have a couple of listener questions to ask you to close things out, but I actually want to ask if you have anything else that you want to talk about before we do that. Oh, dang. That's a good question. You know what this is? That's the dang job interview question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait. Was there anything that you were excited to talk to us about regarding our episode that we didn't ask you about? Oh, dang. I think, well, I was pretty excited about... um, about you guessing maybe what book three could be about without actually <laughs> dang knowing it. Um, and so I think that all of my things uh, in that way, I kind of brought up already because I was just holding them in and I was too dang excited. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind, but I think I already, I already asked them. Um, I did really dang enjoy the episode though. I, it's always so fun to get to, to get your, your takes on, uh, on these, these different, uh, ways and, and also just, um, I think that you, uh, you, you, you both are very good, um, media critiques and i just like hearing what you have to say about things uh even if i didn't write them thanks (laughs) podcaster bards yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) also look if we have time i want to ask a question after our two listener questions but that's um no you go first actually so chuck i'm a i'm also a writer i mainly just write fan fiction for myself and also the podcast uh but i feel very awkward writing sex scenes and i just actually just kind of wanted to know what your advice would be for people who are interested in writing erotic slash sex scenes if you're comfortable with answering this question i don't know if dang dang of course um well i will say that um i i think that uh part of part of the way that um you do that that doesn't really apply to you is uh, you can wear a dang mask so you don't get embarrassed and uh, <laughs> i don't think that's gonna work for you because uh because uh, people have seen your face so um i hide my way and i think part of that is uh, that um at least in the dang early trots 
uh, that I could just go then full on with with my my way because what you're saying is true. It's an intimate experience. Um, over time, I think I have uh, come to terms with that. But uh, but uh, really, I think that the secret is. Uh, Writing and feeling like, uh, as you're imagining the scene, that it's okay to seem a little awkward at first, because um, in reality, I think that's kind of an can be an awkward experience, even in the most romantic setting. And then I think what what uh, Buckaroos are truly uh, turned on by is. Um, one, just the experience of reality of saying, oh, dang, th this is really what it would be like. You would have this conversation. I guess to use an example, so much about Tinglers is about talking about consent beforehand. And you don't see that in a lot of romance because a lot of authors will just say, maybe not in public, but in private, they'll say, oh, we can't just have them talk about consent uh, bluntly before that's too awkward and and when you when i include that i just think well that's what you should be doing in real dang life so i'm just gonna do it who, who the heck cares that they say it's awkward but the most common comment i get is oh dang chuck thank you for writing these conversations before and during where people just talk about how they're feeling and so i i kind of think that there's a level of intimacy there and i guess a moral imperative that romance authors have denied for too long. And part of my key would be to say, just write that in because then you can get to what the, the sex is really supposed to be about, which is above all, just fun. And so um, once, once you accept that it's just going to be this fun thing, maybe buds will laugh, maybe they'll get turned on, maybe they'll have a funny conversation in the middle, and, and at the end of the day, they're going to just have joy together. Um, that's the only thing that matters. And so once you start focusing on that, I think you'll have a pretty good time writing it. It's just there's a lot of old school romance authors who say, that's the first rule. You can't do that. And so I kind of threw that out and I think it makes it easier to write and more fun. That is excellent advice. Seriously. <sighs> wow, that's a good good dang question. I have my hand over my heart. I'm just like, yes. Whenever I have time to actually do some writing, I will keep that in mind. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, all right. So we just have these two, these two listener questions. One, the first one is... How do you deal with people not believing that you're a real person? Oh, dang. Well, I gotta say, I, I know from the dang very beginning, once I started publishing, I thought this is a this is a wild story that we all have. And I say I will say too, part of my way as a man named of Chuck is that uh, there are some parts of my way when I put on my dang mask um that are too high in my privacy. And so Part of it is that um, uh, I would say, uh, how will I explain it? They are stand-ins for other things. So if you're telling a dang story and um, and uh, you're watching dang unsolved mysteries and they say, Teresa uh, stabbed her husband and then ran away, but because uh, her name was Teresa, we've changed it to something else. 
And then in all the reenactments, they're calling her Teresa. And you think, wow, is Unsolved Mysteries fake? You just say, well, no, they just had to change some things for the privacy. Mm -hmm. So I will say it doesn't bother me that that dang much because whenever I'm accused of that, first of all, I know that um, what I am saying and the things that really matter. And to me on this journey, what I've realized, the things that matter for making my art is that... um, that I'm out there proving love is real and writing with sincerity in my heart. And uh, my way uh, that we talked about earlier on the way of uh, um, autism spectrum and bisexual spectrum, um, those are are very important parts of my truth. And then I I can uh, take the other ways around it to tell my stories about my life and just change the names every once in a while so that nobody can hunt me down. Mm. So I will say that even the things that uh, I sometimes have to change because of my masked way are versions of the truth so it never really dang bothers me that much because i know in my heart what i'm trying that's a lovely answer yeah actually it also is like very i don't know like late 90s internet where like no one gave anyone's real name and you no one knew who anyone was which kind of miss sometimes honestly <laughs> the, the anatomy the and uh what's the word anonymity anonymity of yes internet 2.0 well what, what i have realized and it's such an interesting conversation that i could talk about on this forever because what are we what we talked about earlier about being on on these spectrums um i will say that part of my masked way is that i can express myself um I think that I express myself sometimes much more honestly when I'm trotting around wearing my mask, uh, going to a dang show, shaking hands with buckaroos, and that that this is maybe an even more honest version of myself. And I think part of that is that um, uh, I felt maybe gate-kept in my ways uh, before, and um, trotting around as man named of Chuck hiding my way has given me a way to sneak past the gatekeepers and now that I'm on the inside, I can think, hey, my way was valid the whole dang time. Now now my job is to turn around and kick open the gate for everyone else who does not have luxury of trotting through with a mask on. <sighs> well, I'm crying. Um... <laughs> I gotcha! <laughs> you you take, take my glasses off. Uh, um, yeah, that's that's incredible. Also, now I'm like, oh, will I be? Able, will I feel able to do a live show if I wear a mask? Is that should I should I try that? Listen, we could get we could get matching masks. I'm just saying, I would be into this. I could definitely give you mask tips. I will say because I've learned it has changed over time, and definitely sometimes when I do uh, conventions or or other ways. Um, when I when I am a masked man for eight or nine hours in the day. I got to tell you, it's a, it's a lot. There's some technicalities there that um, I could give pointers on. Number one, um, definitely buy the thin fabric and not an actual ski mask because your dang head will be on fire around uh, 30 minutes in. <laughs> That's really good advice. Yes. <sighs> Jesse, do you want to ask our last listener question? Uh, our last listener question is, how do you stay positive when things are so hard? And what ways do you wish more people would use to prove love is real? Oh, dang. 
Well, the, the positive one is all about being perspective. And I don't know why. It has always been... Well, I guess I kind of do know why. And perspective has always been easy for me, even when I was a, a young buckaroo. Um, because once you start thinking about timelines, which is something I, I think on and talk on all the dang time, traveling through timelines, other realities. I, I've chatted on this before, but just for listeners, uh, a very quick uh, rundown of this way is that um, every action that we take creates multiple timelines. You can think of it like a left door or a right door. And um, there is an entire uh, universe for every choice that you make that exists. And it's not just walking through the left door or the right door. It's how fast or slow you walk through or if you walk through it all or if you turn around. Each one of these choices isn't just two timelines. It's infinite timelines. And that happens with every dang moment that you make. And that's why I always say, make sure you're out there proving love is real and making this timeline a better place with your choices because you're creating a whole dang universe. And that is so much dang power that you hold in your hands. Sometimes we feel powerless and you don't think, wow, no, with just dang one day of saying to the buckaroo in front of you at the grocery store who doesn't have enough to pay, you could say, oh, I'll, I'll get your dang chocolate milk this time. You've just created a whole dang universe. And so I think when you realize how powerful you are in that way, it, it, it can be um, very empowering. But more to the point, I think that uh, dang... Uh, when, when, when you start to realize all these timelines are out there and there are infinitely better ones and infinitely worse ones and we're just on this one that we don't really know what's what's going on or what the other ones are, it's really easy to have a dang bad day and, and, and assume that that's a, a bad timeline. But you don't know what all the other dang timelines uh, could have held in their hands. So it's kind of dang important to just have appreciation. We never recognize how how fortunate our timeline is until uh, something bad happens. And so I try to every day remind myself, and maybe a good example would be, let's say you want to trot to the store and get yourself a dang lotto ticket. So you trot to the store and you scratch off your lotto ticket and you lose. And you lose a dog and you think, this is the worst day ever. <laughs> um, and then you trot back home and you're all sad about this way. You don't know about the timeline when you trotted to the store and and uh, you got hit by a car on the way there. You, we have no re recollection of that because it, we just don't, we're never aware of it. We don't consider it. And that's happening every day all around us. We're avoiding all these tragic ways and that we'll never know about. And the second one of those happens, if, if I got hit, in, hit by the car and I'm laying there with my broken leg thinking, woe is me. Um, I, I, I would think, oh, I would give anything to go back and not go to that store. And we just need to hold that gratitude, I think, with this sometimes. Now, that's not to say that there aren't buckaroo suffering. I think that, that sometimes that can get convoluted in saying, well, you're just uh, not uh, not noticing other suffering. I think it's important to have a healthy balance and to realize that sometimes bad things really do happen. And, and that's part of our existence. But there's, there are some times when we look and we think, oh, I just lost my $1 lotto ticket and, and I should be appreciative that um, that I'm not on a timeline, that uh, there are infinite other ones where maybe someone that I care about got injured or that I got injured and I'm just going to have appreciation that I'm not on that one right now. Yeah. Oh, that's, dang. That's lovely. Are you crying again? 
We're just we're just nodding very enthusiastically. That's okay. It's okay <laughs> to have a good cry. It's one of my favorite things to do. So may I also say it's always so fun to talk to you, Buckaroos. It's absolutely our pleasure. <laughs> like I yeah. can't. This is why. <laughs> you go ahead. What the, what were you saying? Oh, I guess we got to figure out another way to get you on the podcast somehow. <laughs> Well, I will say, um, well, here's what I will say. Well, I don't know dang much about Harry Potter, but if there's ever any sort of tangential connection, you let me know if you need if you need an outside voice to do some commentary on something. I, I will always come on your dang show. I enjoy it so much. And then you, you also inspire me to uh, write a third one so we can I could come on and do this again. Um... So that that would be great. Oh, and dang it! And then then if Jesse reads a a horror novel name of Straight, I know you talk about Harry Potter on here, but you know we can talk about that. I don't know. We whatever have a, you a want. Whole Patreon where we can do whatever we want. So you know that could. Yes, I'm always going to come talk to thing. talk to you too. So that that you can just message me and I will come on and we can have a nice chat. Heck yeah! That any opportunity we get, absolutely. <laughs> Yes. Uh, all right. Um, we should wrap up. Do we have any closing thoughts? Um, well, my closing thought is to remember that um, that all the listeners out there, you have so much power in your unique way. And, and then you, now that you're thinking of it right now, we don't always think about it. But right now, since we talked about it and you're thinking about it, use this uh, opportunity to to make the timeline a little better put some love out in the world you can maybe if you're listening on your dang phone you can just click over and uh, call call a friend uh, call a bud who you're thinking of and say hey i just wanted to see if you're doing okay i was thinking about you and i think you're so great or or just give a compliment or do something kind to someone uh, in your day i think that will will prove a lot of love is real just with that little mention right there Oh, yeah, I don't think we could end better than that. Not, nope. <laughs> Bang! Love is real! Love is real. Thank you so much, Chuck. Oh, thank you! No, this, this was incredible. One quick note before we leave you. I misspoke in the conversation about trans representation. The phrases people who menstruate and people who give birth are used not only to include trans men and trans masculine people, but also to recognize women, both trans and cis, who do not menstruate or cannot give birth for a variety of reasons. Thank you for listening to this episode of either The Gaily Prophet or Escape from Reality, depending on where you're listening. We will be back next week with your regularly scheduled programming, so get excited about that. These podcasts are produced, mixed, and edited by me, and you can support us by leaving a five-star review, joining our Patreon, buying our merch, or making a donation on our website or through Venmo or PayPal, or just by continuing to listen to us because that's the reason we exist at all. Uh, our website is hashtag ruthless.com and we're on Instagram and Twitter at The Gaily Prophet. The music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And until next time, hope punk's not dead. <laughs>